Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I'm going to be doing something a little bit differently. We're going to explore some stories from a newspaper in Augusta, Michigan. And this episode I'm going to call Forgotten Stories of the Augusta Beacon. So come along and join me. There is quite a collection of unusual stories to be found in this small newspaper from long ago and some hilarious ones. So come along and join me. The first story was published in June of 1902, and there are three stories in this particular paper that was on June 13th. Kidnapped Her Son A rather sensational kidnapping affair occurred at the Gifford place just outside the village Wednesday evening when Mrs. Gifford, the divorced wife of Clayton Gifford, in company with her mother, Mrs. Albert Buck of Battle Creek, went to Gifford's home and enticed their four-year-old son, who was under the custody of the father by order of the court, to the rig in front of the house and then grabbing him and muffling his face, placed him in the carriage, which was driven away rapidly. Mr. Gifford and his son live with Mr. Gifford's mother, who, as soon as she realized what had occurred, notified her son, who is employed as night operator at the Michigan Central at Battle Creek. Mr. Gifford came home and immediately swore out a warrant for the arrest of Mrs. Gifford and Mrs. Buck. They were located in Grand Rapids yesterday, arrested, and in the afternoon taken to Kalamazoo by Sheriff Shipman, where they are held to await their examination. The Giffords figured prominently in the Calhoun County Circuit Court some time ago, and a divorce was granted early this spring. Mrs. Gifford claims Judge Windsor of Calhoun County told her to take possession of the child and that the chief of police at Battle Creek assisted in the kidnapping in all probability there will be a lively scrap in the courts before the matter is disposed of. And that was the end of that story. The next story that was in the same paper was entitled, They Dug It Up. There has been a current report ever since Mr. Hicks left the Hotel Marvin that the bar was running without a license. Wednesday, Marshal Dole went into the bar room and not being able to see the license, asked if he had one. Mr. Booze was absent, and the bartender could give no definite information on the subject. The marshal so reported to the village president, Beadle, who laid the facts before the prosecuting attorney. The prosecutor immediately sent an officer here to investigate the case, but on his arrival here, it was found that the important document had been dug up in the meantime and placed in the barroom as the law requires. It is held by some that the license granted to L.C. Hicks and Company does not entitle the present management to conduct the business. This, however, is a matter for the courts, not us to determine, providing there is any disposition in that direction, which we presume there is not. And that was the end of that little story. A bartender got caught without his license. Now here's a very strange one. This story was called A Venerable Turtle. Wednesday evening, a good-sized turtle was discovered on Main Street near the post office, trailing along behind it a bit of rusty wire to which had accumulated a quantity of dead vegetation. This fact attracted the attentions of passers-by, who, upon investigation, discovered the still more remarkable fact that the animal bore upon its back the somewhat faint but still plainly legible inscription, C.M. 
Brandish, June 7, 1867. The animal, sometime in earlier life, suffered the loss of its right front foot. But the wound had smoothly and perfectly healed as though operated upon by an expert surgeon. Mr. Brandish, who has been a resident here ever since he returned from the Civil War, was shown the silent animal. He carefully adjusted his glasses and long and steadily gazed at the venerable creature, but failed to recognize his short-time acquaintance of 35 years ago. Though he doubts not that in those early days, he was more apt than not to have practiced the art of carving on most anything that offered opportunity and with which might perpetrate his name in future history. He disclaimed any knowledge of the amputated foot, but it is surmised that he, in trying to dispatch the animal with an axe, severed his foot instead of his head, and after his failure, carved upon the inscription. Many of our citizens have viewed with interest this particular creature of the amphibian species, which bears evidence of having passed through a long and eventful career. The next story comes from an edition of the Augusta Beacon that was published on May 10th, 1934. This story is called No Place for Drunken Men. A stranger riding a freight train Tuesday evening fell from a car near the river bridge. He was picked up and brought into the village where it was found he was suffering from a smashed nose and an overdose of hard liquor. He gave his name as Frank Miller. Marshal Forney gave the man first aid treatment and called the sheriff's department. The officers took the man to Kalamazoo to sober up and recuperate from his injuries. On October 30th, 1903, in the Augusta Beacon, there's a story called Narrow Escape from Death. Just before noon today, Manley Vosberg, who resides west of town, was engaged with his team on the MCRR double track grade between here in Galesburg, and he met with a serious accident and barely escaped with his life. He had driven his team between the main track and the string of dummy cars on a temporary track just before the fast track reached there. The train gave no sound of its approach until right upon them, and there was no time to escape. Mr. Vosberg was struck and thrown violently against one of the cars, and his head was severely cut and bruised. One of his horses was also struck and instantly killed. While his bruises are severe, they are not serious, and he is very thankful they are no worse. In the Augusta Beacon of Friday, May 15, 1903, let's take a read through some of the local items posted here. Brown turkey eggs for sale at the Bovee Farm. J.J. Lawler is painting his residence on Fulton Street. Mrs. John Scooter and Mrs. George Gordon are on the sick list. Mrs. Ed Church has treated her house to a new coat of paint. Reverend Mr. Sprague of Kalamazoo preached at M.E. Church Sunday. Charles Lewis opened his refreshment stand at the junction again this week. A selection of 12 new books have been made for the ladies' library. Homer Gaskell now entertains his neighbor with some very nice music produced by his new gramophone. The ice cream social at the Congregational Church Friday evening was well patronized. Next to this local items column, 
was the column that read The Professional Beggar, and it reads, It is surprising the number of strangers who under one pretext or another are constantly asking for charity, and still more surprisingly, the number of people who steadily respond with the cash to their request. It is a noble act to respond to the call of the needy, but the number of impostors roaming over the country is something fierce. Many of this class have met with some accident or misfortune, but it is safe to say that any worthy subject in actual need can get all the aid he deserves among his own acquaintances. Many cases, upon the slightest investigation, show the applicants to be nothing less than professional beggars. One of the instances which has come to our notice was a man who has been made blind and otherwise maimed in an explosion Later, he was known to have gone away on extended trips, but the object of his trips were a mystery until a fellow townsman met him many miles away from home asking for alms. Several years afterward, he died, leaving a handsome estate. It was claimed that most of his property was acquired by begging. Another instance was that of an old lady. She was a stranger in town and was desirous of getting to where she had friends who might possibly aid her. By unfortunate circumstances, she had become stranded on her journey. She was not begging, but was selling her personal effects. Her story was plausible, and her case apparently most worthy of charity. She was attempting to sell the last article she could consistently dispose of, a pair of gold bowed glasses. She offered them for 50 cents and soon found a buyer. Several hours later, she was discovered still selling gold bowed glasses at 50 cents a pair. One of them was inspected by a jeweler who said he could procure them for 37 cents a piece. And that was the end of that story. On September 30th, 1904, there is a very strange story in the Augusta Beacon about a girl that was carried off by an eagle. Now, it's a story that was carried from London, England, and here's what it says. Carried off by an eagle, little girl of 18 months killed by king of birds, while a little girl about 18 months old, the only daughter of a young southern Lanshire crofter living about a mile from Inversion Station on the Highland Railway, was playing at her father's cottage door one evening. An eagle swooped down, gripped her in its claws, and carried her off to the mountains, where, some hours later, her dead and mutilated body was found by a gameskeeper says the London Express. At first, there was no clue to the mystery of her sudden disappearance. The little one had been playing in the sunshine while her mother was baking bread and her father was still at work in the fields. Her baking finished, the mother prepared tea and called the child. As there was no response, she went out to look for her and not seeing her anywhere, became alarmed and went in search of her husband. Meanwhile, a gamekeeper's party was hunting through the dense broom which covered a neighboring hill, and while this investigation was in progress, one of the gameskeepers, recalling stories of lambs being carried away by eagles, made his way toward the rocky crags near the crest of the hill. In a crevice in the rocks, he saw a tiny shoe, and in a deep cleft a little higher up, he found the body of the missing child. Two years ago, an eagle attacked and killed a deer in Sutherlandshire and fed on its body until the keepers drove it off. Lambs are sometimes missed and their skeletons afterwards found on the hilltops. 
It is 50 years, however, since the tragedy, as that has related, has occurred. And that was the end of that story. Quite interesting. Friday, November 4th, 1904. Liveryman alarmed Sunday night when a rig came tearing down the road and into his barn without her in charge. It was feared some terrible accident might the young man and possibly a young lady as well, and an investigation was made at once. Instead of laying by the wayside dangerously wounded, the young fellow was found at home sleeping the sleep of the just. Of course, an explanation was asked for, both of the man and a certain young lady, but the latter knew nothing about it, and the former said he wished he didn't either, and further information was not forthcoming. More interesting and random news. Born on Wednesday, November 2nd, to Dr. and Mrs. C.E. Dovey, a son. The price of admission to all school children to the lecture by Professor Fall will be only 15 cents. Herbert Wooer and John Gray have secured hunting licenses and left yesterday for the land of wild game. Mrs. Barry Brewer fell from a ladder last Friday and broke her collarbone, which has caused her much pain since. A reception was given at the parsonage Wednesday evening for Mr. and Mrs. Baldwin. About 50 were present and all enjoyed a pleasant evening. October 28, 1904 N.S. Phelps disappears. Neil S. Phelps, who in the past has been rated as a millionaire, but now financially embarrassed, very mysteriously disappeared Sunday afternoon from his home in Battle Creek. Constant and diligent search is being made, but up to this time no trace of him has been found. While Fred Parks was crossing the river bridge east of town yesterday afternoon, followed by a man from Climax driving a drove of cattle, which frightened Mr. Parks' unruly horse to the stage where he preferred the cold, deep river beneath him to the company of the cattle. Therefore, following out his desire, he plunged for the river, carrying Mr. Parks and the railing of the bridge with him as he went. The river was a little wet and deep, Mr. Parks saying he did not care to measure it again, but horse and man succeeded in getting ashore with a much dilapidated buggy, vowing vengeance upon the railing and cattle. So that's kind of a funny story. The horse did not want to go near those cattle, and went over the edge of the bridge instead right into the river, carrying with him the buggy and his rider. On Friday, October 2nd, 1903, there's some really fun stories here. Sheriff said knit is the headline. There was a disappointed crowd of some 200 sports who gathered at Galesburg Saturday night to see a scrap between Kid Bates of Battle Creek and Ernest Pratt of Comstock. Everything was ready for a start when Sheriff Shipman stepped in and called the whole deal off, and there was the end of it. The committee who had the mill in charge had secured Slouton's barn for the occasion and had the consent of all Galesburg officials to let the men go at it. A hot scrap was expected and considerable disappointment was occasioned when the administrator of the law stepped in and said, Knit! Or, Knit! In the same edition of the paper, there is an article 
that is entitled, Don't Do That. Some men spend all their time loafing around waiting for a soft job with a big salary attachment to strike them. Don't do that. The honeybee spends the summer working to make honey for the man to steal from him, but the bee knows no better. The miser hoards his money through privation and distress of some heir to squander. Don't do that. There are some people who want so badly to appear swell that they lock up the front of their house and live in back room upstairs all summer in order to have people believe they were at the seashore. Don't do that. We know men so constituted that all the time they are not carrying the favorite horses, they are scolding their children. Don't do that. We never see a young man who think it is smart to pretend that he is half seas over without desiring to walk to him and say, don't do that. He is not yet obsolete. We mean the fresh young doctor who tries to make people believe that he is busy by whipping his horses on the dead run through the village street. There is men in other lines of business who try the same dodge, and they deceived no one. Don't do that. The biggest bore on earth is the old man who tries to act like a boy when there are a lot of young women around. Don't do that. The foolish man wastes his morning hours in dreaming about what he intends doing during the afternoon. Don't do that. It is possible for a man to build such a fine house that it can never seem like a home. Don't do that. There are those who spend so much time trying to ape the ways of great men that they never have time to achieve the greatness themselves. Don't do that. And that was that story. Other local news in this edition of this paper. The canning factory at Galesburg is running on full time. What is the matter with the factory at this place? Will Whitmer has gone to Marshall, where he has been given charge of a section on the Michigan Central Railroad track. Old papers for use on the floor or shelves for sale at Beacon office. Mrs. Lewis Crane was quite sick the forepart of the week. Charles Shutter is now driving a handsome new carriage team. And finally, the Ladies Literary Society held their weekly meetings at their rooms Wednesday. Original papers on Germany and its customs were read by the members. In the Beacon newspaper of July 14, 1905. Golden Wedding. 50th wedding anniversary celebrated by former residents. July 10th was the occasion of the golden wedding of Mr. and Mrs. Stephen R. Long of Menden. Mr. and Mrs. Long were former residents of this village, having resided here for a period of about 10 years, at which time they ran the Hotel Marvin, and during their stay here made many warm personal friends. Mrs. Long is a sister of Mrs. Nellie Wooer of this village. About 200 friends and relatives were present to help celebrate the event, which proved a very enjoyable one for all those who attended. 
A petition was received from several of the citizens and heavy taxpayers asking that the subject of street lighting be fully investigated and a report made of the result. It was decided to call a special meeting at some future night to hear a proposition from the Commonwealth Power Company, if they so desire. And on to the local section. Ice cream and cake, lemonade of all kinds of soft drinks at the home bakery. Mrs. Bessie Marvin has recovered her gold watch, which she lost a few days since. The Lady Maccabees will hold an ice cream social on the lawn at the Maccabee Hall tomorrow evening. Of course, everybody is invited to be present. Frank Horton has resigned his position as engineer at the basket factory and accepted a like position on the searchlight at Gull Lake. E.M. Latta is now running the engine at the basket factory. A news report from Galesburg in this paper says a boy was residing at the Nichols Farm east of the village was terribly bitten on the lip by one of the prevailing dogs on Saturday night. Over in Battle Creek, a new ice company has been organized here and a contract made for securing a season's supply of ice from Gull Lake. A new company has been organized and will continue the business of the defunct Record Printing and Box Company and Sunday Morning Record. The new concern will be known as the Record Printing and Carton Company. Monday evening at the sanitarium, barns were again destroyed by fire and five horses perished in the flames. The origin of the fire is as much a mystery as the previous one when 13 horses and a man perished. It seems clearly the work of a fire fiend. The loss is about $2,000. Over in Richland, Gertrude Bonebright has gone to South Haven to spend the summer. Mr. Joe Milburn met with a serious accident last week, falling upon a cement block, cutting a bad wound in his head, necessitating taking several stitches. And finally, I'll leave you with this story from January 8th, 1904. It is the opinion of a young man given to one of our exchanges. $20 a month on a farm is better than $35 or $40 a month in the city. As a general thing, at the end of nine months, the farmer boy has $150 in cash, three pairs of overalls, and a straw hat, while the city chap has an ice cream suit, an imitation Panama hat, several pairs of decorated socks, a package of cigarettes, and $30 of unpaid bills. And just below this was a notice that the Augusta Beacon comes out in earnest against the joshing, given the story of the Augusta man's cat, which swallowed an eight-inch hat pin. The editor says that although Augusta is quite close to Galesburg, the statements made were gospel truth and that he can produce the cat if necessary. The protest is permissible, but the cruel and heartless insinuation against Galesburg fiction genius should not be tolerated. So that is a strange story of a cat that swallowed an 8-inch hat pin. Oh, the stories that you find in the old newspapers, and all of these came from just exploring through some old editions of the Augusta Beacon in various years 
as I found them in the Kalamazoo online collection in the Kalamazoo library. And I always enjoy exploring old newspapers and digging up old stories. So I hope you enjoyed today's little tour through some of these random stories. If you like this episode, maybe I'll do some more of this sort of thing in the future. So that's going to conclude today's journey through history, exploring some random stories from the Augusta Beacon. And as always, if you would like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And if you are so inclined, please leave a review on either the Apple app or the Spotify app. Hopefully a favorable one so that other people can find my podcast. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.